This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, welcome to Raise Your Game, the show that delves into the world of professional and entrepreneurial development to help you raise your game, whether you're an entrepreneur, employer or employee. I'm Roshan Kanesan. Today, we're tackling a topic of critical importance in the business world, the underrepresentation of women in leadership roles. We'll explore the variety of reasons behind this imbalance, identify the barriers that women often face on their journeys up the career ladder, discuss strategies to overcome these challenges, and of course, explore the tangible business outcomes of a more gender-diverse leadership team. Joining us today is Jim O'Brien. He's the CEO of learning and development firm TMI. With over a quarter century of experience in leadership and management roles, Jim's key focus has been on developing and delivering leadership improvement programs for large corporations. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rashad. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for joining me over the line here. Now, before we get into the how, Jim, and let's start with the why, because maybe getting people's buy-in may require telling them the business outcomes from a better, more diverse leadership stance. Um, why is it important and valuable for businesses to not just have more women participation in the workforce, but to have uh, more women as part of senior leadership teams? So, so there are lots of reasons uh, w- why it's important, but, but the real driver is an internal driver that should be made or decided by the organization themselves. It's really clear if we look at this kind of mathematically, you know, women make up you know, pretty much half of the global workforce. Um, and so, so if we're fishing in a pond of only 50% of the workforce, which is male, we won't receive the, the quality or, or the ambition or the results that we get with all of the qualities that, that women have. So, so to give true stakeholder value, to allow businesses to thrive, to make more profitability, all of the things that are fundamentally the most important KPIs for organizations, just ensuring that they have twice as many people to be able to recruit from and to uh, to, to uh, promote, just makes basic business sense. Now, you uh, TMI helped G Group develop a program to support their Women in Leadership initiative in the case study that was published. I think this was quite recently, within the last three months. It was noted yep. that only one in four is a C-suite leader. Now, before we jump into this in particular, could you share with us some of the tangible business outcomes that organizations like G Group have observed by increasing the representation of women in leadership roles? Yeah, it's clear. So, so the first thing to say is that, you know, G is not um, unusual. We, we're kind of, you know, average and representative of most large organizations globally. We have great intentions. You know, if you speak to the CEO, speak to the board, they're positive around their intentions to have more women in leadership positions. So, so, so it's, it's not as if, or any other business is trying to hold back ladies in most uh, in most organizations or in most cases. Um, but with the tangible uh, results, if that's the uh, question you're asking, was that, that there are kind of hard and soft um, indicators of um, improvements. One is uh, on the soft side, um, it's, it's clear that when we have a good representation of, of, of all types of equality, women especially, um, we get the results that we get are, in, for example, uh, increased discretionary effort by individuals. So, so employees feel more engaged and more connected to their leader. They feel more, their leaders are more authentic. And so they have good intentions. They intend to give discretionary effort. They intend to stay longer. They intend to work harder and look after the organization in, in a more emotional way. They also stay for longer. So, so, so you know, you keep people with the right values for, for the longer length of time. 
in terms of results, the results are again tangible because you have more of the better people making the better results. And so over the long term, and again, GI has only been doing this for you know for three months or more. Um, but over the long term, uh, what we'll find is that results improve. Uh, the research is um, really clear with that. As you get a better quality of people with more authenticity, with more connection to their to their organization. Over the long term, business results improve. In fact, the research would suggest that results improve by between 200 and 400 percent. If you think it right now with, with large global organizations, they consider their results each year typically to be incremental. You know, they grow by 5 percent or 10 percent or 15 percent in terms of revenue and a few percentage points in terms of profitability. That's a successful year for most mature organizations. Well, if you can imagine just unlocking the ability to be able to to fish in this wider pool, to have many more people to be able to choose from with greater decision-making capability, it unlocks real productivity and growth. And so, so over the long term, as I've said, the most important KPI to organizations, which is growth and profitability, are really unlocked. Now, as I mentioned earlier, TACTMI helped a GI group, I think that's your parent company, develop a program to support their women in leadership initiative. I mentioned one of the stats earlier that uh, one in four, only one in four is a C-suite leader. But with respect to this program in particular, the G, uh, GI group's workforce was predominantly female, yet less than 20% of its strategic community was female. Uh, based on the work your firm did here, give us a sense for the primary reasons behind this significant imbalance of women in top leadership roles. I mean, this is something we often hear about, but to have a case study uh, done so recently, um, this would give us, I think, a bit more of a grounded, tangible uh, uh, reference point. Yeah, it's a great question that we uh, we obsessed over for a long time because, again, GI is it's no different to most large organizations. We we have the intentions for everybody to be equal, for it to be a meritocracy. And yet, despite after saying those things and believing those things, it, it wasn't true. It didn't happen. And, and, and so... Um, what we've what we've tried to do is is identify the the, the real causes for why this should happen. Um, in, in essence, what we've discovered is even though we have um, the, the intention, you know, if you ask any of the board, any of the ownership team, that they'll they'll say that you know we're we're a meritocracy, but but they even themselves didn't know why, you know, why this didn't happen. It's clear that you know women are as capable as men, so 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 in theory at least you know the board should be fifty percent women or fifty percent men. That would be that would be the average across uh, you know your own most boards. What we've discovered is that the, um, the 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 reasons are many and small, and 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 it begins at the at the start of a lady's career. So so, so some uh, really good research that was done by McKinsey uh, a year or so ago, and it's worth googling to to find the research suggests that the the notion of the glass ceiling isn't really real. Um, the reason that uh, women seem to fail to get into the boardroom isn't because there's a, a an invisible barrier that prevents them. Um, it's at the other end of the spectrum. Mm, the, the phenomenon of the of the broken rung is really the start of the cause of the lack of uh, women in leadership. And if, if you imagine the beginning of uh, any uh, individual's working life, Lots of graduates and employees begin at a young age and promotions are, are rapid uh, during the first few years of somebody's um, uh, entry into, into the workforce. It seems that um, for a number of reasons, we can touch on these without being so technical, but because the, the prevailing leadership at the moment is, is male, um, 
the criteria for being promoted in those early years is skewed towards men. And then also, you know, through, through we know as natural demographics, women uh, tend to stop early in their careers on average to have uh, families. When they return back after having those families, the business isn't prepared to help them. Even if they go away for one year, for example, as, as little as one year, especially in, in today's environment where applications, processes, ways of working change so rapidly. When women come back into the workforce, they find that they've missed the boat because they've been away for 12 months and they don't really have the support network or the you know, training or development that they need to be able to upskill them to the latest applications and developments. So they're small things. They seem trivial in isolation, but you put those things together and it holds women back in those first critical few years so that if 50-50 of the workforce goes into an organization, it's found that after the first one or two promotions, the third level of the hierarchy is 65% men or 70% men in some cases, and only 35 or 30% female. So again, within the first few years or the first few promotions in that really early critical stage, men outnumber women two, two to one. If you kind of you know multiply that during the next two, three, four, or five promotions until you start to get towards director level, the, the, the numbers get even more skewed because, again, there's more allyship with men, more men reinforce, more men behavior, more men expectations. And so eventually, when you do get to that final stage, according to McKinsey, there just aren't enough women to promote. <laughs> there just mm -hmm. aren't enough left. And uh, I think the term you used earlier was the broken rung. So I guess this is um, emphasizing the importance of how, I guess, emphasizing how important the early days in one's career can be towards longer term uh, career progression as well. And uh, Jim, I think we're going to dive into a lot more, uh, dive into this a little further, but we've got to go into a few messages first. We'll be back in just a bit. Folks, I've been speaking with Jim O'Brien. He's the CEO of learning and development firm TMI, And we've been talking about the underrepresentation of women in leadership roles and how to address them. I'm Roshan Kanesan. You're listening to Raise Your Game. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Beating fickle mindsets. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Raise Your Game. I'm Roshan Kanison, and this morning I've been speaking with Jim O'Brien. He's the CEO of learning and development firm Tech TMI. Today on the show, we're talking about the underrepresentation of women in leadership roles and some of the reasons behind them. And this is coming on the back of Tech TMI helping their parent company, GI Group, develop a program to support their women in leadership initiative. This was a case study that was published in the last few months, if I'm not mistaken, Jim. So some very timely stuff to get into and some data points there. Um, now, following up on what we were talking about a little earlier, just before the break, given this historical context where work environments have generally been shaped by male-centric values, what strategies can organizations adopt to change these deep-rooted cultural norms and foster more gender equality in leadership? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question, Roshan. So, so um, the, the answers I give are not the answers according to, to Jim or to Tax TMI, but these really are the answers that our research has found and secondary research from other organizations and not just, um, you know, not just Tax TMI, but, but really what we've uh, found uh, by digging into this for quite a long time now, we have some subject matter experts that uh, we, we work with that, you know, kind of allow us to, to, to understand the nature of the issue and then build uh, development programs. But, but, but fundamentally what we found is that even if, and there are a number of things, but, 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 but one of the most important, I think, is that if, even if organizations believe and intend 
to, to be uh, gender neutral, if they intend to, to have a meritocracy, it, it doesn't happen. If, if you speak to, you know, pretty much any CEO of a large organization and ask them, you know, do, do, do they prefer men over women? They wouldn't care less. They just want the best <laughs> performance. Uh, but, but it's not happening. It, it's what we found though, is it, it's not enough to be benign. Um, the, the upper echelons of an organization need to create a real environment, a, a rallying cry, a, a real creed occur that says, you know, we, we intend for, for our organization to be, uh, you know, gender blind. And we want the um, middle managers of an organization, the managers that make the recruitment, the managers that make the promotions, we want you to know that you're empowered. Uh, and more than that, you're responsible for ensuring that we have a gender blind organization. So, so, so because this uh, issue is so ingrained, it's so traditional, it's been around for such a long time, just being benign and saying, you know, we're, we're gender blind isn't enough. It needs to be kind of more forceful, more resolute, more, more, more motivational. It needs to be in, in, a, in a business's overarching strategy. So, so it needs to be really public and it needs to be really cried out that, you know, we need to change this. If, if that's done, uh, then you'll break through the barrier. Um, operational leaders, operational managers will get the message and then they'll start to consciously review why, you know, in, a, in, the, in the chaotic world of, of large organizations, especially at that, the ground level, in this chaotic um, environment, why we see so few women being promoted. So, so, so that's the first thing. It needs to be from the top and it needs to be a distinct rallying cry that says this needs to happen. So secondly, um, again, as I mentioned, organizations at this level are quite chaotic. You know, it doesn't matter if you're the, the, the best run organization in the world, but, but if you're a large organization, there are lots of, you know, individual employees, individual contributors in the first three or four levels of the organization that are promoted um, on detail with, with very little data, with, with, with very little information, with maybe a psychometric test or two. But, but, but um, the people making the, the promotion are typically men. They've got, you know, men-centric backgrounds and men-centric unconscious biases. And what they're doing is making a, a decision based upon what they know uh, is the best for them. But they don't use data to manage those decisions. So, so, so the second most important thing is to be more objective and to use more data to make decisions. So, for example, if they look back at the, the previous year and analyze how many men were promoted over women, in those first early years, they'll realize that more men were promoted. So, so why? So they should use data to drive the decisions that they're making more than just um, subjective um, decisions based upon their own personal preferences. And, and the third thing that we found is that the women that need to be prepared for leadership um, need to be developed adequately. I think we might touch on this in, 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 in later in the, um, in the conversation, but um, because we found that organizations are more biased towards males and male decision-making, which is natural and unintentional, but it is happening. Really smart women think to themselves, well, if I need to be promoted, I need to sound and look like a man because those characteristics are what make you successful. And so in those early years, women would, would, would try to take on the characteristics that they believe would make them more attractive to promotion. This creates a kind of imbalance. It creates an inauthenticity. The research suggests that women score really well with empathy and authenticity. They connect with their direct reports and their team members because they are so good at connecting. They understand emotions and feelings more than men. That's what the research suggests. 
but women feel that they have to ignore those great traits mm. to be more like men. So they're giving away some of their advantages to be more like a male, which puts them basically on a par with those males, except they're not men. So, 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 so the third thing that we need to do is develop women so that they understand their own behavioral traits. So they're prepared for leadership when it happens and they need to maintain those advantages rather than try to, 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 to hide them in order to be more like their you know, male competitors. So with that in mind then, um, how effective are leadership development programs like the one implemented by GI Group in nurturing, developing uh, women leaders? Can you share uh, some of the program with us as well as some of the success stories or outcomes? Yeah. So, so if I'm really sincere, I'll say that uh, the leadership development programs that we create for women in isolation are really successful. Is it changing the world? No, but because the other things that need to be in place aren't really happening. So, so, so to make this really successful, you know, we, we need top-level buy-in. We need sponsorships. If that doesn't happen, then, you know, nothing will change. And then we need to do the other things. We need allyship and we need data to drive decision-making. And then the women need to be developed. What we found is that it's really easy to develop women because they're really fantastic. They're as good as anybody else. We know that. There's no difference. So, so our development programs are really quite fundamental and basic, and we can identify the issues that we can see through research that are preventing women from being developed and being as, 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 as magnificent as they can be. So, so it's quite easy for us because we can say, okay, authenticity is really important. You need to be prepared for decision-making. You need to be able to make difficult decisions. You need to be able to you know, manage your empathy. You need to maximize your emotional um, uh, intelligence because that gives you an advantage. So all of those things that we know that women either need to be more expert at or, or reinforce what they're already good at, these are really well-known behavioral traits that we can develop women to, to kind of maximize in a really short space of time. And we're really proud of that. And it's not just us. Other learning and development companies can, can do the same thing with, with, with you know, little research. Um, so, so, so short answer to the question, you know, we can ensure that women are really well-prepared to, to, to be leaders of the future and leaders of today. But the reason it's not successful is because organizations culturally aren't really doing what they need to do to ensure that these magnificent women who are ready to be leaders are being promoted. Um, Jim, we've got to go into another, a few more messages. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the importance for of flexibility in career paths and work schedules, as well as the role of self-confidence and what steps, what tangible steps can be taken to enhance all this and improve this in the workforce. I've been speaking with Jim O'Brien, the CEO of learning and development firm TACTMI. I'm Roshan Kinesin. You're listening to Raise Your Game. We'll be back in a, just a bit. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Beats, funk, mixtapes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Raise Your Game. I'm Roshan Kunison, and this morning I've been speaking with Jim O'Brien, the CEO of learning and development firm TAC TMI. And we've been talking about the underrepresentation of women in leadership roles, some of the reasons behind this, some of the reasons why this should be addressed, and how this can be addressed. Now, the case study that we talked about earlier, uh, Jim, this was a case study that you did for the parent company GI Group to develop a program to support women in their leadership initiative. And uh, I think it was published in the last few months. Uh, the case study highlights that the demand for flexibility in career paths and work schedules is important for women. So how can organizations adapt well to this to provide this flexibility while ensuring career growth for women? Is that 
possible or does one come at the expense of the other? It's another great question. So, so I guess the first thing to say, Roshan, is, um, you know, we're, we're focused on women right now and it's true, you know, women want additional flexibility, but what the research is also suggesting, especially in the last five years or so, it's accelerated a lot, partly because of the pandemic, we believe, but, but in any case, with, with, with the new generations coming into the workforce, uh, with global wealth increasing, um, men and women want, want more flexibility. They want more from their organization. They want a higher purpose. They want to have some meaning behind the organization. They want to have an empathy with the organization, a connection uh, in terms of um, emotional connection. So, so, so the workforce is changing really quickly and, and rapidly. So everybody is looking for, you know, more what's now called time sovereignty, you know, the ability to be able to manage time more effectively, be, be more autonomous and choose uh, more about their, 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 their workforce and their life. Women have, have an advantage because they've wanted that for, for, for longer and they're also more passionate about it. The research isn't sure why, um, but, but, it's, but, but right now it's, it's clear, it's true, and we're still looking into why that should be. Um, there's a, um, um, an obvious uh, reason for this in, in that you know, women, again, tend to you know, start families at a younger age and women are more responsible you know, globally. Uh, again, the research would suggest for... Uh, bringing up the family. And so, so women look for more flexibility because they're planning to to have families at the younger age. But but they also want to do, you know, some traveling. They also want, you know, kind of autonomy and all of those things. So, so, so um, flexibility is here to stay. You know, organizations, institutions, researchers, we all know that, you know, the world is changing so rapidly. There's a, a dearth of uh, available employees. Again, as we become more global as birth rates are lower. Um, we, we can see it now globally. There are more jobs available than, than people in, in, most, uh, in most spaces. So organizations need to adapt. If people want more adaptability, more flexibility, more, more um, choice, more autonomy, organizations have no choice. They have to provide this for, for all of the workforce. So, so, so women are no different. They're just part of the, the whole uh, conundrum. What's clear about the research is, and again, we're not sure why, but women tend to leave more quickly if they don't get these needs met. So, so if an organization doesn't follow their values, their, their, their purpose, their sense of emotion or sense of value, if they're not making a connection, if they feel as a sense of unfairness, there's lots of real, re, real tangible reasons. But if women don't get all of these psychological needs met, they're more likely to move on. Again, that really impacts their ability to be able to be promoted and become leaders because they're more demanding for, you know, in their organization, they, they want more uh, than just, you know, trading time for money, which again, historically might be a reason why, why, why men stay, because typically if I go back to, you know, to, to the, to the olden days in, in inverted commas, men were more responsible for bringing home the money. And so, so men would put up with, you know, kind of, um, you know, traditionally kind of, you know, more negative experiences because they needed to, 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 to be the breadwinner. So, so, so there might be lots of historical reasons. We're not sure why, but, but the fact is it happens. Now, if we want a meritocracy, if an organization wants to thrive, if it wants to make its profitability and get the growth it needs, it needs to adapt to these things. It needs to give the women of the future, the leaders of the future, what they're asking for because it's counterproductive not to. If they leave, we have to recruit more people. We have to go through the whole cycle again. We lose people with good values. We lose people with good experience. And so it's important to, 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 to meet them halfway and give them the things that they want. So give them the flexibility, give them the autonomy. Is it a, a paradox? Does, does this kind of giving mean that, you know, the organization loses out? Absolutely not. Again, the research 
is really clear that providing people with autonomy, a sense of relatedness, competency, um, the ability to be able to do good work, the ability to be able to work with organizations that are similar to them, to have good clients, all of these kind of fundamental things. If you give any employee, but especially a woman, all of these needs, or so satisfy these needs, sorry, if they flourish, your business improves by 200 to 400%. Giving them autonomy, flexibility, agility are a tiny price to pay compared to the return that you'll see if you actually embark upon this new culture. Now, Jim, one other thing in the case study that caught my attention was the importance of the role of the or the role of self-confidence and leadership styles for women. Talk to us a little bit about the significance of this, about the role of self-confidence and understanding one's unique leadership style for women aiming for leadership positions. Yeah, so this is a strange phenomenon, Roshan. Women are as confident as men. Again, women and and men, you know, we have to stop thinking about the differences because (laughs) really aren't of any feel. We're we're, we're, we're as capable as each other. Uh, In fact, most of the women I know in my organization are a lot better than me. So, 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 um, we, we, you know, we, we, we focus on the differences when really there, there aren't any. Um, so, so women are, are as confident as men. But, but again, what, what with the research has found is that women, um, two things happens. One is they believe that they need to, to, to mirror the behaviors of men. And, and so, so, so you know, they, they artificially increase their level of confidence because they believe you have to be overly confident and overly macho because that's what will get you promoted. So, so, so immediately the women not being authentic and when you step out of your natural kind of authenticity, when you're not the person you you really are, then it leaves you open to to vulnerabilities. You know, you you have to cre- create this facade and keep it, and that's really difficult. But the second thing is, because of the current imbalance, because of um, the fact that women have so few role models, um, women have um, more. Um, experiences of, of of what's known as as imposter syndrome and, and so women um don't believe at the beginning at the outset when they when they begin with an organization even if they have confidence they don't believe that that confidence is enough to get them to where they need to be and if we remember that you know the first few promotions are usually negative experiences for women because even though they begin on an equal footing with men they see them they either themselves or their colleagues fail to be promoted this reinforces the imposter syndrome. So, so if you put the the mixture of trying not to be authentic because they need to look like men or act like men or behave like men, and at the same time struggle with this imposter syndrome because they believe that it might be true. You know what we've been taught all of these years. You know men get to the top and women don't. Then then all of a sudden they 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 they're faced with these self doubts. You put those things together and it, and it's a, it's a fairly heavy mixture. So, so again, what we're trying to do with our development programs is break this down into its constituent pieces and say, imposter syndrome, you don't need to worry about. Just focus on doing a good job, being authentic, behaving as you think you should be, make the right decisions, be empathetic, be a kind person, You know, follow your values, and then you'll be successful. Don't worry about those things. If you're not successful, it's not your fault. It's the organization's fault. If the organization can't change, then leave. But, but do your best to work with us to have the organization change because it's in everybody's best interest. So I guess to follow up on that, uh, Jim, what steps can be done, uh, whether by organizations or just uh, by other stakeholders to enhance these aspects among women professionals? Yeah, that's a great question and it's a difficult one, but, but in, in, a, in, a, in a tactical sense, 
what organizations need to do is, is, is firstly identify mentors for, 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 for the women. Again, it's difficult and it feels like it's a high environment for low return, especially at the beginning. But it's really important for organizations to identify mentors and, or coaches or role models for, 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 for women entering the workforce. They also need to look at changing their business practices so um, advantages aren't bestowed upon men because, again, traditionally, you know, male characteristics were the things that were being looked for. But organizations need, need to realize that the advantages that women bring are also good for an organization. So, you know, promotions and, and, and incentives need to be focused on um, more neutral uh, behaviors and traits and, uh, and results. And then also to, to, to build um, an allyship, a, a, a kind of culture um, where, where meritocracy is really important and not being meritocratic is, is not good in an organization. It's baked into the values. Again, that needs to come from the top, but, but all of those things put together and it's not easy, Roshan, it's a really difficult thing and it takes lots of time, but all of those things put together will eventually give the organization in the long-term uh, organizational vitality. To wrap up this conversation, looking forward, what are the next steps for organizations to not only increase the number of women in leadership roles, but to also sustain this change over the longer term? Essentially, just something to bring this conversation, to summarize this conversation and bring it to a close. So that's the good news because it's self-sustaining. When you break past this barrier, when you get past a, a point of inflection, a critical mass, when you have enough women in the workforce that are being promoted, it's self-perpetuating because things start to find a balance. Instead of being a male-dominated organization, it's a balanced organization. So you have balanced behaviors, you have balanced values, and you have a balanced way of working. And so, so breaking the barrier the first time is enough. You don't have to sustain it. sustained itself. Jim, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Russia. You've been listening to Jim O'Brien, the CEO of TAC TMI, here on Raise Your Game, the show that delves into the world of professional and entrepreneurial development to help you raise your game, whether you're an entrepreneur, employer, or employee. I'm Roshan Kanison. This has been Raise Your Game. Keep it here at BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.